we're going to find that this will work, right? That's it. The red light means it's on. Yeah. Oh, that's not the mic. Today, yesterday we couldn't get this to work, right? But today, it is working. So, I am pleased to be with you today. And the first thing I want to do is to shut off my phone so that nobody will call me from Israel while I'm speaking to you, and then I will answer it. One time I was speaking in a classroom and my wife called. I forgot to turn off my phone, so I thought I'd have a little fun with it, and I'd say, hi, sweetheart, I hear you're calling. Uh, please say hello to all my students. And she was a little embarrassed, but they couldn't see her turn red because she was, you know, it was the phone. <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't a FaceTime call. And, uh, you know, we chit-chatted, and I answered some of her questions, this, that fun, and everybody was laughing. But we're not going to do that today. Because after all, it is Sunday, and that's a very holy day. <coughs> well, it is the day of resurrection, legitimately, isn't it? Well, I believe that, despite what some people are saying uh, that are a little strange. Um, I wanted to say that the reason Patty is not here is she had heart surgery just um, 10 weeks ago, 11 weeks ago, and is doing very well. I mean, we were really, maybe it's 12 now, we were amazed that the doctor released her to travel to the United States. I thought I was going to have to cancel my schedule and just come for the conference and fly back, have my kids in Israel, you know, oversee her, take care of her. Um, all of my children are adults, and we got nine grandchildren and one on the way. But she improved, but she's dealing with one very significant problem, and that is her upper back produces pain, a lot of pain, we think from the surgery and being open up, plus she takes the blood thinner that you have to take, and she gets these terrible headaches when she sits up. So if she comes and sits up, uh, for the service, which she did yesterday, and then sits up for the trip back to Chicago, uh, she'll be doing too much sitting up, and she'll have headaches and pain, and then she can get rid of the pain by taking a Percocet. But she doesn't want to take a Percocet because she doesn't want to be addicted, so we go around and around with this. We're sure that this will be solved in Israel because that's where you go for healing, right? <laughs> it's where we went for healing. We know a lot of people who've had healing um, in Israel. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a funny thing, you know, it's a difficult place, and yet for some people it's a place of healing. And so um, we have a, uh, a, an osteopath who's wonderful, and when he does a massage on this place, the pain is gone for a day. So he, he says he knows it's not a disc problem, it's a muscular thing that's related to opening up your ribs when you do open heart surgery. And I cannot imagine how they can do that today. They open you up. They plunk in a new valve. Can you imagine this? Uh, you know, 55 years ago, if you had what Patty had, she, th the heart would get bigger and bigger. And like my English friends, they would talk to you about having a weak heart. Well, a weak heart is usually caused by valve problems, not always. And then the heart gets stretched more and more as it tries to pump out the blood, and then you die. But today, you don't die. It's amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. Now. So I'm very thankful for it because Patty and I are wildly in love and we, we have this wonderful vision that when we're both old and healthy and not in pain, we're going to know it's our time to go 
and we're going to uh, hug each other, climb into bed together, and then drift off to sleep together in each other's arms and go to heaven if the Lord doesn't come back before then. Isn't that a good vision? How many would like that? That's the way to go. If you're in love with your spouse, you like that one? Remember the movie Notebook? We're like that couple, you know, but we want to do it right together, you know, when we're 85 and up or something like that. All right, so you can pray for us to attain that goal. (laughs) Now, um, I didn't bring any books, didn't bring any sign-up cards because of all that we've been going through with the surgery, and then we had to move from where we were staying in Kansas City because we have a Kansas City base. That's our base for travel for four months a year, eight months in Israel. And so we just brought nothing except our Bibles and ourselves, and here we are. I have some cards, you know. So if you are not getting our mailing list, our teaching and informational newsletter, it's really important that you get it so you know what's going on in Israel because you are a congregation connected to Israel because you sponsor a Messianic Jewish congregation that is a member of Tikkun, so you're kind of a member indirectly, really you are, and, and, and you are rooted in Israel because the foundational fathers of our movement are in Israel now building a congregational network and ministries, and that's where the word of the Lord is already, in a prophetic way, coming forth from Zion. And so it's a really important thing to feel connected to this newsletter. So how do you do it? Very simple. You just give me your name, your address if you want email, I mean if you want snail mail, if you want email, you put email, and you can get both. You can get snail mail and email, either or or both, but you write it down for me, and that's one way to do it. Or you can go online, and you can sign up on Tikkun. Uh, you can go online to Tikkun International and sign up for the newsletter there. And so nobody has any excuse for not getting the mailing unless you're not able to read. No, we don't have a, an audio copy of it yet, but maybe that'll happen someday. But please sign up and be part of us. Make a mental note. If that's not good enough, write it down and get on the newsletter mailing list. Now, I also have a book. I have a couple of books. Actually, I have 19 books. 19. I've gone to this new organization called WBA, Writing Books Anonymous where you go and you sit in a circle and you say, my name is Dan, and I am a book writing a holic. And, uh, you know, really, when I graduated from Wheaton and graduate school, I was so glad I didn't have to write any papers anymore. No more books, no more papers, no more professors' dirty looks, you know. You know that one when you went to school? And unfortunately, our movement that I got involved in didn't have any theological foundations, and I just felt compelled to write a couple of books, and then I'd be done. And then other subjects come to me, you know? And there are all sorts of books for all sorts of things, and then Asher has about half a dozen, and Eitan has two, and my wife has two. We have about 30 books that are part of Tikkun. So go online and browse the books, and you can get them all on Amazon, or you can order them from our office. The last one I have is called Heaven, Hell, and the Afterlife, what the Bible really teaches. Wouldn't you like to know where you're going when you die? You might think that the goal is heaven. Do you know that the goal of eternal life is not heaven, that that's a temporary place? And I'll explain that. 
And uh, Heaven, Hell, and the Afterlife, what the Bible really says, it's eye-opening. Who gets to go to heaven? Who gets to go to hell? What is it? Do you want to be there to not be there? Is there air conditioning there? You know, you can, you can get a hold of that book, and it will answer those kinds of questions for you. All right? Are you with me? All right. I know some of you feel like it's summer, and you're ready to go home or go out to eat, but stay with me for a little while longer. That's the introduction to the ministry. So, Father, we ask you that you would open up the word to us in the name of Yeshua. Teach us. Teach us from your word in Yeshua's name. Amen. I want to talk about Ephesians chapter 3 today. Yesterday I talked about Ephesians chapter 2, the whole chapter, and I talked a little about chapter 4. And this is really connected, and if you were here yesterday, did anybody come back today who was here yesterday? Wow, that's great. Aren't you glad that I'm not going to speak on the same thing exactly that I spoke on yesterday, that I'm going to speak on something different? But yesterday, I spoke about the fact that Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we have entered into a reality of one new man where we have new access into the very presence of the throne of God, better than the access in the Holy of Holies in the temple, a new unity of Jew and Gentile, so there's a new unity, and we talked as well about, what was the last one? New access, new unity. Wow. Huh? And new leadership, very good. We have a new leadership, that was chapter 4, and that leadership equips the saints to do the work until we come to unity, and that is going to lead to the redemption of Israel and the nations. That was yesterday's message. But today, a part of that now gets extended in chapter 3, and you know that in the, in the time of the writing of the Bible, there were no chapter divisions, and sometimes you think, boy, where they put these chapter divisions is pretty strange. And of course, you begin with chapter 3, and Shaul begins his message in saying, for this reason. What reason? What, chapter 3? Doesn't this start something new? I don't have to look behind, but you do. You have to look at this reason, and the reason is Paul's ministry to the nations, Paul's ministry to Jew and Gentile, affecting the coming into being of the one new man fellowship of Jew and Gentile, and that this whole new household of God is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Messiah as the chief uh, cornerstone uh, and in him the whole building is being fit together we're growing into a holy temple of the Lord and in him you are being built together into God's dwelling place so you are now the temple of God and, and, and you have a temple reality that's better than the temple reality that existed in the days of uh, Solomon or Moses and that temple reality is a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So when you come together, the Spirit is here, your temple. Now that precedes chapter 3, and Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, am a prisoner. Wow. Because you're standing for that, and because you're trying to affect this new reality of Jew and Gentile being one in the Messiah, for this reason, you are a prisoner. You've been put in jail for standing for this and, start, and trying to foster this. And he says, uh, I'm a prisoner of Messiah Yeshua for the sake of you Gentiles. 
And then he says, you have heard about the plan of God's grace given to me, that the mystery was made known to be my revelation, as I wrote before briefly. Now, the title of this message is The Mystery. What is the mystery? Now, one of the things that um, Jim didn't mention was we have a dialogue with Catholic friends who are in the higher-up echelons connected to the Vatican. We've had it for 14 years. And um, when they hear the word mystery, they immediately do a Catholic thing. You know, when the Catholics hear the word mystery, they immediately feel a mystical experience feeling. Mystery. Something so deep that I can never understand it. But I'm supposed to reflect on it. And I'm supposed to get inner emotional feelings about the mystery. And this is true in the Eastern Orthodox Church, too. The word mystery elicits all kinds of beyond what I can understand and way out there. And maybe I can catch a little glimpse of something if I just reflect on it. And if I fast and I go into my closet in secret and I just kind of, you know, clear out my mind and I can meditate on mystery. That's a very Catholic and Eastern Orthodox way of speaking about it. But here, it's not what Paul means by mystery. And usually in the New Testament, mystery does not mean that kind of thing that Catholics and Orthodox think. Mystery is just something hidden, and that that hidden thing can be revealed by God. And Paul is telling us that he is the steward of a mystery that wasn't revealed before. It's new revelation. It's a new understanding. God didn't tell other people about it. And he's saying that he himself, now this is a little bit of chutzpah. You know what chutzpah is? It's a Jewish word for nerviness. He himself was given to understand this in a way better than anybody else to date. Boy, that's a little bit nervy, a little bit of chutzpah. And what is the mystery? The mystery that was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy emissaries and prophets, this mystery is that Gentiles are joint heirs and fellow members of the same body and co-sharers of the promise in the Messiah Yeshua through the good news. I became a servant of this good news by the gift of God's favor given to me through the exercise of his power. The mystery that was given to Paul was that there is a new order of priesthood and that that new order of priesthood included Jew and Gentile together. Now, you know, the mystery was not that the Gentiles would come to the knowledge of God someday and be saved and included in the kingdom. That's repeated again and again in the prophets. What do we read in Isaiah chapter 2? That in the last days, the nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears and their pruning hooks, and they will say, come, let us go up to the house of the Lord, you know, to the house of the God of Jacob. They're singing Israel's hope song on that, you know, come, let us go up. And that he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the Torah will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, Isaiah 2. That he will be a banner to the nations, Isaiah chapter 11, that he will be a light to the nations. Zechariah chapter 14, that all nations will come up to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the Feast of Sukkot 
and we could go on and on and on. The blindness will be removed from the nations someday in Isaiah chapter 25, and the nations will come into the kingdom of God. You know, the prophetic hope is very, very optimistic about the ultimate end of things. It might be very difficult now, but the ultimate ends of things and the age to come is really optimistic. So we ultimately win, and we're ultimately going to be part of this wonderful kingdom that is Israel and the nations being one under the rule of the Messiah. The prophets predict that Israel and the nations, uh, after it's all over, after the trials, after the tribulations, after the wrath of God, after all of that, ultimately Israel and the nations will be one under the rule of the Messiah. So that's not a mystery. That was revealed before in the prophets multiple times. What was a mystery was that God was going to take from the nations a remnant from every nation as was going to join them to Jewish believers and that they were going to be a one new man priesthood together on a higher order, as I said yesterday, that have access into the most holy place. That's the mystery. As I understand this mystery, the Jewish people are still a priesthood of God. They're still going to be playing a priestly role for the sake of world redemption. Their priesthood in the age to come is described. But if you believe in a literal millennial age, now this is a little bit complex, but if you believe in a literal millennial age, and I know you do here, but I don't know how much you've taught on the millennium. Have you taught a lot on the millennium? I don't know nothing. I don't know. Someday you can teach a little on it. But anyway, we believe that there is a thousand-year rule of Yeshua coming to this earth from Israel, and in that thousand-year reign, Israel and the nations are one under the Messiah, but they're not yet in their transformed bodies. They're not yet resurrected. The essence of those who believe in the millennium is there's coming an age where people are still in their earthly existence, that there's marriage, that there's children, that, there's, um, that people live really long but still die, as it's described in Isaiah chapter 65. And that um, this is a glorious age, but one of the implications of the mystery is not only do you have people in their earthly bodies, not only do you have Israel and nations of one, but there's a group of people, the body of Messiah, the bride of the Messiah, who rule and reign in that age as well with Israel, but they are resurrected. They are transformed. That when Yeshua comes, we receive our glorified bodies. So there's a class of people that is on this higher plane. And you are the higher plane people. You are the higher level people because you have a reward for having come to Yeshua in this age, put your trust in him, and are living out the gospel before people, and you are a priesthood charged with bringing people to the knowledge of the, God, of the king. This is a holy priesthood. Now, uh, we're going to read, so anyway, this is, this is the great mystery of your priestly status before the Lord joined with Jews. Now, in this priestly status that we share together, Jew and Gentile and the Messiah, we Jews are still Jews. We're still connected to our nation. The fact that we're one new man together doesn't mean that we're not Jewish. You all understand that, and that's why you sponsor a Messianic congregation, because Jews who come to faith in Yeshua are still called to identify and live as Jews. All right. Now he says, this favor was given to me, the very least of his uh, saints. To, why does he say that? Because he persecuted them to proclaim to the Gentiles the endless riches of the Messiah, and to bring to light the plan of this mystery, which for ages was hidden in God, who created all things. 
The purpose is that through Messiah's commun uh, community, the multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, which was keeping with the eternal purpose he carried out in the Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. In him we have boldness and access, and there he talks about that access again to the holy place, the most holy place, with confidence to trusting in him. So I ask you not to be discouraged. Now, This idea of a multifaceted wisdom has so many dimensions. And this is where, if we don't want to be bored, we'd like to study all of the facets. You know, a diamond has many facets, and that's why it's so glorious, right? My wife one time said to me, honey, you know, um, my daughter and daughters-in-law have a bigger diamond than I do. She comes to me and says this. What do you think about that? I say, well, I think our kids should be wiser about the way they spend their money and not waste it. <laughs> so she said, don't you think I should have a diamond that reflects your great love for me? Well, I could, and I, I, you know, I'm a smart guy. I know who butters my bread, right? So I said to my wife, I couldn't buy you such a diamond. Such a diamond doesn't exist. But I said, but you know, a diamond can be an investment if we insure it. So I will buy you a nice new diamond. I did this several years ago, but we have to make sure it's insured because it has to be a savings account that you're wearing on your finger. So we went and did that. So you'll see that diamond if she comes. It's a real one, but don't, don't make a big deal of it. You know, I just told you because she's... She's not here, so, you know. But the diamond has lots of facets. That's why we like it. We look at it, and we're fast fascinated by the colors and the cuts. So Paul says that the wisdom of God is multifaceted, and it includes lots of things. And I only want to talk about one of those uh, uh, aspects of facets. It's plural, because the facets are how Yeshua is the divine Messiah, how he dies for us, how he, uh, how he rose again, how we participate in his death and resurrection, how he's coming again, how we'll be transformed, how he baptizes us in the spirit, how he transforms us, how he enables us to walk in his presence and joy. I mean, we could go over many, many facets, but the facets I want to go about is that the body of believers itself is multifaceted. And one of the troubles that people uh, have is when they hear about Messianic Jews returning to their heritage, so they express their faith by living a Jewish life, they begin to think, maybe I'm a second-class citizen because I'm not Jewish, and they begin to come, they begin to get a little offended by the idea that we Jews say we are called to live a Jewish life and return to the land, and you know we're going to say, blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord. So the Gentiles begin to get upset. And so Gentiles, mostly Gentiles, have begun to create what I call aberrations from Messianic Judaism. They begin to say all Christians should keep the whole law just like Jews. And you say, but, you know, what about Galatians? What about Colossians? What about Romans 14? These passages that explicitly say that Gentiles are not responsible to keep a Jewish way of life. 
And then others have come up with this theology that say, well, you know, we're really not Gentiles. And Gentiles is shorthand from of the other nations. Gentiles is shorthand, means they're French, Chinese. Although we look Chinese and look French and we look African, we are really the lost tribes. We've been scattered to the world. And when Christians, when a person becomes a true Christian, this is a marker for proving that they're a descendant of the lost tribes. Anybody ever hear that teaching before? You heard that teaching? Raise your hand. Boy, you, a lot of you are very blissfully ignorant. <laughs> and I mean it because it's, if you haven't heard about it, it's just as well. Um, but, but, but the thing is, this teaching comes from this inferior. Frank wants me to continue to go faster. No, slower, faster. What, what do you want, Frank? I, keep its stuff out of here. Yeah, we don't want it. But the idea is, contrary to the New Testament, which tells us when we're preaching the gospel, God is offering salvation to the nations, these things, people think the gospel is only being offered to the lost tribes that are being gathered, and therefore they have to keep the whole law. And all of this does not understand God's heart for multiple cultures and different kinds of people that produce different kinds of expression. And so you say, how is the rest of the church to be rooted in the Jewish people? Because the church has been grafted into a Jewish olive tree. The, the uh, Hebrew scriptures is the scriptures for all of us. And it means, yes, all Christians should probably teach on the feast. They should understand the feast because Yeshua brings them to their fullness of meaning. And yes, during the seasons of the feast, they can do something about it. And yes, Christians should probably have a Sabbath principle in their life. But in terms of keeping specific days and in terms of having responsibility to have the, all these days as Sabbaths and to not work and all of this, uh, there is liberty in the New Testament. And the reason why there's liberty has to do with the best form of the church. I want you and I want every local church to attain the very best form of the church. And you know what the best form of the church is? That form that best enables them to reach the culture in which they exist. That form which best enables them to reach and disciple the people of that culture. And that means that churches have to adapt culturally, respect their rooting in Israel, but not be required to take upon themselves a Jewish way of life that will not fit into those other cultures where they're planting the gospel. And the Lord loves it. The Lord loves different languages. He loves different expressions. He loves different ways of being. And when you go to other nations and other cultures and you see the way they worship and the way they do things, they, they're, they're very, you know, differences of language. Even when the Bible is translated, and I have this theory that, yes, to be fully accurate doctrinally, you want to go back to the original Hebrew and Greek. But when you translate the Bible into Swahili or Hindi or Russian or Chinese, meanings come out, different slants come out, and although you might want to not make a big doctrinal point of it, I think there is added richness in these different languages. I think there is added richness in different ways that different cultures do things. And God is a God that does not like boredom, and he doesn't want us all to be the same. 
So the body of believers itself is meant to be multifaceted and free within the context of moral law. So this, to me, one of the mysteries that Paul has here is that by creating an international movement of believers connected to Jewish believers for sure, connected to Israel for sure, but he, he releases a liberty so the church can take on multifaceted kinds of expressions and be more glorious than any kind of diamond we can ever think of. And if we would come to understand our status in Yeshua as the new priesthood in him, we would have no inferiority complex before Jewish people or Jewish believers. There's just no inferiority because you already have the highest status in him. So sure, we want to win the Jewish people. We want to have Jewish expression. And yes, there's a call back to the land and the Jewish people are important, but not in terms of superior status to Christians. You've got the status already. So this is why we say there's a multifaceted wisdom of God keeping to the eternal purpose that he carried out. And because we know this, we have boldness. We have boldness and access with confidence in trusting him. So he says, don't be discouraged by troubles. Then he says he bows his knees before the Father from him. Every family on earth receives its name. And, and what does that mean? You know, scholars debate, what does it mean when he says all of the families on the earth receive its name from him? Well, is it saying that we are all children of the Father, so our name is children of the Father? Or is he saying that he has a name and a purpose and a meaning for every distinct ethnic group on the face of the earth? And they're all children of the Father. Then he prays that we would be strengthened in our inner being with power. Verse 17, uh, through the Spirit, so, verse 17, Messiah may dwell in our hearts through faith and being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to grasp with all the holy ones. And this is mystery here. This one we can't grasp. We can meditate on this. It, it, we could go a little more Catholic and Orthodox here. To grasp with all the kodashim what is the width and length and height and depth and to know the love of Messiah which surpasses knowledge so we may be able to be filled up with all the fullness of God. And he's always looking for us to get to this place of fullness. You know, in chapter 4 he talks about the apostles, prophets, and evangelists bringing us to the place of fullness so that we all come to unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and that we become that mature corporate humanity as the body of believers. But what's it all for? It doesn't say it in this chapter, but chapter 4 gives us a, 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 a sense of it, and John 17 gives us that sense of it. The purpose of all this is not just our fellowship with the Lord, and there's really nothing higher than that. You know, like the old catechism said in the Reformed world, what is the chief end of man? is to love God and to enjoy him forever. But the purpose is the redemption of Israel and the nations. It's so interesting that in Romans chapter 11, Paul, a Jew, says that he magnifies his ministry to provoke Israel to jealousy that he might save some. But then he says, I'm speaking to you who are not Jews from the nations. You're to do this as well. This is a joint effort. Getting Israel saved is a joint effort of Jew and Gentile. 
Why is it so important? Because their full acceptance will be life from the dead. So this higher order priesthood that we're a part of as Jew and Gentile is going to affect the salvation of Israel and the redemption of the nations. That when we go out in world missions, it's not just to get some few people saved, it's to move history forward to the point where Israel and the nations see the truth and confess Yeshua. That we're moving history to the climax of his second coming. That we are a priesthood that is moving history to the second coming of the Lord. Have you ever thought of that? We are a priesthood on the stage of last days. Eschatology is the word for the last days, study of the last days. We are the priesthood on that stage that by serving, by loving, even here in Milwaukee, where you are winning people to the Lord and serving the poor and giving yourself to establish a strong congregation, you are doing your part, you are playing your part in moving history to the climax of the return of the Lord. You're part of something really huge, something really big that's going to see Israel saved, that's going to see the nations uh, uh, delivered of their blindness and come into the kingdom of God. So we see three things about this mystery. The mystery is about a higher order priesthood that includes Jews and those from all nations who respond to the gospel and get an extra reward of status in the age to come because they respond now before that great climax at the end of the age. The, 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 the holy priesthood. Uh, and then the second thing that we find is that the holy priesthood is multifaceted and has liberty, so there are going to be many different forms of the body of Christ. When they meet, how they meet, small congregations, big congregations, mega congregations, uh, different languages, different styles of worship, different holidays even, in terms of what fits them. You say, can you give me an example of that? I can give you one example in Korea where they decided that, yeah, they could keep the Jewish Passover, and they do remember that, but they have in Korea what they call the Korean Passover, where they celebrate the day that they were delivered from Japanese oppression. They call it the Korean Passover. And they look at God as having delivered them, and they celebrate it at the Korean Passover. See, this is unique to Korea, because they have their own history with God. So we're multifaceted, and we have liberty. Don't let any of these flaky guys out there seek to take away your liberty and tell you that you are responsible to... to Keep the whole law. Don't go there. Don't. It's wrong. It's, you know, what could Paul say to be more clear about that? The body is multifaceted. And number three, the end of it all is the redemption of Israel and the nations. The end of it is the age to come. We're moving history forward. Okay? Higher order priesthood, multifaceted, leading to the redemption of the whole world. That's what we teach in Tikkun. We're kind of unique in the Messianic Jewish world in having this understanding with the fivefold and all of that. But we're really glad to encourage you with this message. We want you to go forth knowing that whatever your role is, whatever your area of service is, you're doing something that's really important. And we are people called to do really important stuff. All right? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Yeshua, we thank you and praise you for the multifaceted body of Christ, the multifaceted body of believers that we have been called 
into this worldwide connected reality of fellowship. Let us enter into the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us commit our lives to be effective. Let's go all the way in to what you are offering us in regard to the presence and power of Yeshua, his love experienced and lived out in Yeshua's name. Amen. Now, don't forget the newsletter. Don't forget the books. And I know Jim wanted to give an invitation about the baptism in the Spirit without which you can't fulfill the fullness of your destiny. So uh, I'm going to invite him back. I'm done. This is what I had to share today. Oh, yeah. I'm on again. That was good. Amen? Yeah. So we... Uh, in just a minute, we're going to take an offering for Dan and actually for Tikkun. He made a point to say, you know, really anything that I'm blessed with goes to Tikkun. And I want to tell you a little bit about Tikkun. We've, any of you members may have heard this expression or this term, and we've talked about it. Dan certainly mentioned, mentioned it in his message today. Tikkun is an organization. It's headquartered in Israel, but there's an American arm and then certainly in Israel. And it has worldwide effort to connect Jews and Gentiles in these things, in restoration, in the fivefold ministry, and the other things that were spoken of earlier. It is a great ministry. It's one that we believe very much as a church, and we get behind. And uh, so much so that this is one of the organizations that Pastor Frank is traveling with more and more and more and more. So we don't just talk about the support of Tikkun. We actually get behind it with our own, with Pastor Frank. So it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, and Dan doesn't charge us any money for coming. So when we write the, when we give him a, an offering, whether it's cash or writing checks or whatever, it truly is a gift. And uh, his time with us is a gift, and and our money to him and this organization is a gift. So let's pray about that, and then we'll receive the offering. Lord God, we do thank you for the chance to to reach across the world, really, and and have somebody come in and and share uh, your word and impart to us, Lord the things that are happening and, and the things that you've been stirring in him. And this is Dan, Lord, of course.